Welcome back to Burn the Haystack with Josh and Jesse. I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is a show to help you save the best and burn the rest of your culture and faith practices. Absolutely. And today we have a very special episode. We're going to be talking basically about big church versus small church. Ooh. Just having a chat around that could be a little bit controversial, but probably not. I don't know. (laughs) No, I don't think this will be Uh, super controversial unless we make it controversial, which this is going to be a more free-flowing conversation. So we'll see where the current takes us. I'm excited. Yeah. And uh, both of us, we've had some interesting experiences with this and we're pastoring different sized churches. So we just think it's an interesting conversation to have. Um, But it's really nice. This is kind of the first time in a little while that Jesse and I are just recording with just us. Yeah. Yeah. I think the last time that we did this was almost two months ago, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. Like we've had so many great guests, which has been awesome. But sometimes it's nice to just sit down and say, hey, Jesse, how you going? Yeah. And to uh, include everybody else in this podcast conversation, of course. So, think about this episode as we're just sitting down with you and we're just having a chat over a cup of Joe or Jill or Jane or whatever it is that you drink. (laughs) (laughs) Who drinks Jane? What is drinking Jane? I I don't know. I'm just (laughs) trying to make a joke around calling drinks by names. I don't know. I don't know where that came from, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Now that you think about it. In fact, that even lends me to... It's a perfect segue to the question of the week. Amazing. Question of the week. Uh, what I was thinking, and this is more... I, this question is coming from a selfish place, but um, <laughs> I'm thinking, like, do you know of any, like, kind of strange origin stories of something? Like a product or a song um, or a word that you've just been dying to share, but it has just never come up in conversation? A product, like from my childhood or like that I'm using right now? Like, no, just like, it doesn't, it doesn't really, the origin story is what you're sharing. It's like, you know, like say there's like this, like if you had the origin story for where the phrase a cup of joe comes from or the origin story of a movie or the origin story, like where did this movie come from? There's a fun little origin story. A fun little origin Um, story. Yeah, I can go first because I had already thought like, I want to share this origin story. (laughs) Because I find it, I yeah, just discovered it recently, and I thought it was just really fun. Um, and I'd be kind of like, I want to share it with someone, but I don't have any. I don't know when it'll ever come up in conversation. So this is the moment. Okay. You know. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, Super Smash Brothers is a game I really appreciate. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm a little bit rusty. I haven't played it in a while. Um, I'm just taking a break, playing my backlog of games, wanting to get a bunch of things finished, but. Um, but I recently discovered the origin of Super Smash Brothers, like where the concept came from, and I thought it was just, re- <laughs> I thought it was really just really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so Masahiro Sakurai is like the main designer and um, like game coordinator. So he's always loved fighting games, and there was this. There's a very popular series of fighting games called King of Fighters. Um, I've never played it because I'm not really into super competitive fighting games like Street Fighter and. You know, they're like Mortal Kombat, all those ones with the really complicated combos. But anyway, so apparently the story goes 
back in the 90s or something, he was at an arcade because arcades are really popular in Japan. And he was playing, I think there was a King of Fighters stand and he was playing and then there was this guy and his girlfriend came and the guy was like, oh, hey, do you want to play? And he's like, yeah, sure. And um, so they played and Masahiro just absolutely obliterated him like over and over and over again. And he felt bad because he like schooled the guy so hard in front of his girlfriend. Um, (laughs) And he's like, it just doesn't seem fair that like, I have all this practice with fighting games and somebody who's new comes along and just can't even get a hit on, like can't do anything in the game. So he designed Super Smash Brothers to be the first fighting game that anybody could play. Like it's got some complicated parts to it, but it's not like it's it's easy entry, but mm. really hard ceiling. Not as hard a ceiling to, you know, like not, not as high skill base as like Street Fighter or King of Fighters or something like that. But still, got, it's pretty hard to be like amazing at Super Smash Brothers to get to like the top. So, yeah, that's where this, the game came from, and I found it really cool. Wow. Huh, that is yeah. really, that's and really cool. Apparently, when they first made it, it was like these random generic guys wearing dragon costumes were the fighters, <laughs> and then um, they came along and were like, oh, actually, maybe this will sell better if we just chuck a whole bunch of random Nintendo characters in, and they did, and wow, next minute, boom. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was so a th- smash th- hit. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, <laughs> that was really good. Yeah. Hey. Oh, that's so. So cool. yeah, good things can come out of schooling a guy in front of his girlfriend. Oi. At a fighting game. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. That's amazing. Oh, very cool. Oh, I never knew that, and now I know another piece of information that will definitely come in handy in my life somehow. I'm not sure how. It'll probably come out in a sermon illustration Ooh. in like five years from now. Who Bro. knows? It's so fun throwing in the weirdest sermon illustrations. Oh man, there's been some there's been some weird ones out there that I've used and people have just oh, gone, yeah. "What?" Oh man, it's so much fun. <laughs> um, okay. Um, so my origin story, are you familiar with a mathematician, inventor and game designer named Richard Garfield? I know Garfield the cat. Okay, okay. all right, all right, all right. No. But I have, a, I have a feeling they're unrelated. Okay. Richard Garfield, <laughs> in the early 90s, um, actually in the early 80s, he invented a board game called Robo Rally. Okay. Cool. And he tried to get this published, but he was unsuccessful at getting this game published. It was eventually published, but it wasn't incredibly successful. Um, he then turned his attention because he was a big Dungeons and Dragons fan. He loved playing Dungeons and Dragons with his friends. But while they were playing Dungeons and Dragons, he would go to conventions and he would go to gatherings and they would all play D&D together. And in between games, he wanted to create these uh, some, some little games because he would get really bored in between D&D games. And he started thinking, what if I created just like a little game that I could play with my friends, like one-on-one or two-on-two and whatever, that I could just play with my friends in between D&D games. And because he had a pedigree in um, games design, he thought, okay, I'm going to create a little game that my friends and I can play in between rounds of D&D just to keep us entertained, okay? And Mm -hmm. he created this little game that he called Five Magics, Okay. And, okay. and it was a 
combination of like a card game, like uh, poker or blackjack, but instead of using playing cards, this was one of the first of its kind, it used a system like collectible baseball cards, where you would collect cards Uh and then you would formulate them into a deck. And then you would use that deck against your opponent and it would be the first player to reduce the opponent's life total to zero would be the winner. I feel like I know where this is going. You, I'm <laughs> sure I'm you do. <laughs> so, yeah. at all this time, um, Richard Garfield was trying to find a, a publisher for Robo Rally. But then a little-known company called Wizards of the Coast... I knew it. <laughs> started talking to Richard Garfield and they said to him, hey, we're not so interested in this Robo Rally game that you've been trying to get published, but we are interested in this other game, Five Magics, that you are trying to get off the ground. Can you develop this some more and give us a product? Which he did. And eventually in 1994, there was released the alpha set, the very first set of a little card game that was would become known as Magic the Gathering. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. <laughs> Funnily enough... Now the biggest card game in the world, it, basically. Yeah, exactly. Funnily enough, Robo Rally did eventually get published. In fact, it got published many, many more times after that. Um, and I played it at uh, Avondale College for the first time um, with a mutual friend of ours who got me into board games in general, Mr. Damien Hedges. So shout out to Damo if he's listening. Um, and his beard. And his beautiful beard. Uh, so thank you, Damo, for introducing me to both Robo Rally and Magic: The Gathering. Um, Amazing, it's a beautiful thing, beautiful thing. <laughs> I love. We're such geeks. Like we had the opportunity to give the origin yeah. story for anything, and both of us choose games. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really. Yeah. I shouldn't be surprised. Nah, bro. <laughs> this is who we are. Let's just embrace it. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Uh, we'd love to hear your weird origin stories too. Um, so anything you have, yeah, make sure you send us through because it's, it's kind of fun when everybody answers a question of the week. So you can just shoot us through a DM or post it in the group, whatever. Absolutely. Anyway, uh, let's get on to the secondary topic for today. No, <laughs> <laughs> the filler. This is the filler that we have to put in the episode to make to justify its length. So <laughs> <laughs> we fill out the last 50 minutes. The so first 10 minutes is imperative, but uh, okay. So, uh, big church versus small church. This is like something that uh, I hear so much dialogue about. And to be honest, I hear a lot of like, I'm going to say ungrounded opinion about it too. Like people just have these ideas and they just spurt them about both big churches and small churches. They're not really grounded. They might be grounded in like a caricature of them. Or they might be just Um, grounded in personal preference. I think that's probably what it comes down to at the end of the day. Yeah, but some people... T- I think some people, when you talk to them, they take it beyond personal preference and try and make it, like, theological and one's right and one's wrong. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Um, and it definitely comes out of preference, but they would be like, oh, it comes out of the Bible. Um, <laughs> and, like, don't get me wrong. There are definitely some principles in the Bible for what church should look like. Um, but I think there is also a lot of wiggle room. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> exactly how that yeah. can play out and the most optimal way to do it in our current day and age. So growing up, would you say, Josh, that you had more of a big church experience or more of a small church experience? If you can think of your church experience growing up, what would you say had the most impact on you? 
Um, I'm actually, I was thinking about this before and I think I had a bit of both, um, because we moved around a bit. Um, but we should say as well, like a big church in Australian Adventist context, Australia, New Zealand is like 200 and a small church would be like 50 or less. Yeah. is probably what we're, obviously I know in the grand scheme of things, like a big church is probably should be measured at like over 500. But yep. in the Adventist, South Pacific Adventist context, when we talk about big church, obviously this can be applied to a whole lot of things, but our context is like over 200. I would say um, that I would say that there's probably a clear delineate, delineating line between um, mainline and extra denominational churches and then like mainline evangelical slash probably charismatic because like both evangelical yep. and charismatic are very broad umbrellas and they also overlap a lot. Um, so I, I definitely think that when we're measuring small and large, as you say, it's very helpful to think about in terms of what is big and what is small in your context. So whatever your context is, as you're listening, just contextualize what we're saying to whatever it is that you're most familiar with. Yeah, yeah that's good. Um, so... Growing up, we started out in like Bansdale Church, which I would say is like a medium-sized church at the time. It's bigger now. Like it's a country church, but it was sort of a country hub church. So, um, yeah. I would say I spent probably most time in a big church. But then when I went back to Melbourne after... Yeah. Yeah, that, that's when I would say we went to a smaller church. And then when we planted a church, that was even smaller, but very contemporary. Yes. So, yes. I would say like the last church I called home before I became a pastor was small but contemporary. Which and that, that often those two often don't go hand in hand, right? No, they don't. Yeah. 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 Um yeah, so I would say yeah, I would say that's probably the that church probably had a lot of impact on me because I spent a lot of time there and yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, we'll yeah. go with that. But okay. I I have had a lot of experience growing up in big churches because we went to a college church. Right. And Fox Valley as well, which were big churches. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I would say my my context growing up was a lot of small country churches. I've lived in rural New South Wales, rural Victoria, in the Sale Valley. I've lived in rural Western Australia. Um, I've never, I I had never lived in a large city until I moved to New Zealand. And when I say large, I don't really even mean like over 500,000. I mean like over 100,000, right? So I've lived my entire life in, yeah, in like small rural towns or outside on properties and never in a town more than 50 to 100,000 people. So even now I live in a town that's got like 90-ish thousand people in it. So... I've never lived in a Melbourne. I've never lived in an Auckland. I've never lived in a Sydney. Um, and the churches that I've always attended growing up, it wasn't until, same as you, sort of Avondale College, that I ever attended a church over two, 300 members. Um, yeah, certainly not in terms of even weekly attendance. So a lot of rural churches. Um, Barrel Church was my home church growing up in the Southern Highlands, but Narromine, Dubbo, even um, Western Australia and Sale, Victoria, those were the contexts that I was most familiar with 
um, growing up. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, there you go. Um, so now, um, you're pastoring a probably smaller church. Yeah. And I'm pastoring a larger church in, in my context. Yeah. Um, you yeah. went, you went from pastoring a fairly large church to a, a larger church than that in your ministry here in New Zealand. Would that be fair to say? I think they're about, mm, yeah, uh, I think they're about the same. Okay. Maybe, I don't know. It's hard to, yeah. Palmy had a very fluctuating. Yeah. Like if everybody showed up, it was quite a large church, but okay. there are a lot of people who were helping out with other rural churches. Yeah. Whereas like Hamilton is more of a consistent group okay. there. So it feels larger, but I don't know if they're necessarily... Yeah, anyway, yeah. it doesn't matter. Whereas <laughs> I went from um, pastoring in a fairly large church in Tauranga to pastoring a very small church and then pastoring two very small churches and then going back to pastoring one very small church, a church which you and I both shared out in the in the sticks in Masterton. Mm, good times, good crew out there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, you and I have both had, um, a f- I, I would say, a fairly um, broad experience when it comes to pastoring from... Maybe maybe it would be fair to say, and you can tell me if you don't think this is correct, but probably small to medium. I don't know that you and I really have much experience in like the, the big, big churches, even within an Adventist context. What do you think? Yeah, I'm thinking like 400 plus to me is like a big, big church. Right. You know, and I know, I mean, I know there are some people listening who go to like La Sierra Church, which right. is like thousands. So, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, in our context, I, that would obviously obviously be like another level up. And yeah. I would love to have experience working in that kind of thing just to understand it. I would um, think, I think super fascinating if I'm to me. correct. Yeah, I think, I think 5,000, four or 5,000 is what's considered a mega church by United States standards. So that would probably, yeah, La Sierra, uh, Loma Linda, um, those sorts of churches would definitely be considered as as large churches, mega churches, even in an Adventist context. Hmm. So it's possible. Like we, we might think small because we're here in the South Pacific, but there are definitely what you could consider mega churches in different parts of the world, aka the United States, and probably not, not very much else outside of that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, so I guess when we're going to be having the conversation around big church versus small church, it's not really which one's better, I don't think, um, because straight out of the bat, there's definitely pros and cons of both. Um, but yeah, I don't know. You've been, you've been having some thoughts around this. So do you want to just run with what you've got yeah. and what you're changing? Cause I think your, your contrast between the churches okay. that you pastored is right. bigger than mine. So I think, yeah, you, you'll, you'll have an interesting start with this. Okay. Well, I'll just share what's, what I've been thinking about for the last like year or so, maybe two years, and then we'll see where that, where that takes us. Um, so when I started out in ministry in 2016, I started straight out of Avondale and I got plonked into a medium-sized church of, you know, 150 to 200 regular attenders. And it was a fairly wealthy church, um, had a lot going for it, still has a lot going for it. And of course, every church has problems, but, you know, I consider it to be a pretty good church. So when I started out, my aim or my goal, it really changed and it really shifted along with 
me growing up and maturing as a person. So when I started, I really started devouring leadership material, um, Craig Rochelle and Kerry Newhoff and a lot of the big names that everybody knows and their po- their books and podcasts and stuff like that. And I started to try and figure out what sort of pastor or what sort of leader I wanted to be, what sort of I needed to put in place as my overall aims and goals in ministry. And as I did that, I started to think that my main goals and my main purposes should be to grow this church as much as possible so that we could reach as many people for the gospel as as possible. The only problem was, is that didn't really happen, at least in the two years while I was serving at that church. And I was the associate pastor. So, you know, it, a lot of the time, a lot of my job was supporting my senior pastor, which is fine. Um, but I started to get frustrated when two years after my I, I started at the church and I was leaving, I would look back and think, what have I actually accomplished? Like, what have I actually done in this church? And I started to feel like a failure because when I'd gotten to that church, it was at a certain point. And when I left, I, I would have hoped that it was better off at least spiritually or perhaps hopefully even numerically than than when I'd gotten there. And I honestly couldn't say that for certain. And so I kind of left that church feeling like I'd kind of failed as a pastor, like I'd spent two years there and I hadn't really accomplished much. So then I transitioned from being an associate pastor in Todonga to being a lead pastor here in, here in Palmy um, at a church that was much smaller and we didn't even have our own building. We still don't have our own building. Um, much smaller budget, like a quarter of the size of the budget at this big church. And I thought, okay, I need to get in. I need to, um, I need to, to grow this church. I need to get us to the point where we can, you know, get our own building and we can, you know, reach lots of people and have a, you know, really great band and, you know, ministries and all that sort of thing. And over the past two years, cause it's just come up on two years that I've been here, um, a lot has changed, but not what I originally intended it to change in terms of I didn't start at 30 people and now we're at 300, right? We're still more or less where we are. Um, tithes and offerings have increased, but only by a very small margin over the last few years. Attendance has increased, but only of a very small margin over the last few years. So mm. the big dreams and the big ambitions and, and, and the sort of we're going to get in here and we're going to save the world and we're going to impact in a huge way and we're going to build a mega church within New Zealand. They thought it could never be done. Sort of ambitions that I used to have, which I know sounds silly. Um, I, I, In some ways, I don't have any more. And I think the thing that has really rocked me, and then I'll shut up after this, but the thing that I think has really made the difference is that over the last few years, I've had the opportunity to attend a number of workshops and conferences and PDs for, for ministry inside our faith tradition as, and as well outside our faith tradition. So I've gotten a little bit of an insight into how different faith traditions, charismatic evangelical systems, how they work, the language that they use, the strategies that they use. And of course, I've gotten all of that as well from the podcasts and the books that I've read, both from Adventists and not Adventists alike. And one of the things that I've 
started to think and started to um, internalize is the way that we spend money, the way that we strategize around building churches, whether they're big or not big, and the way that we actually steward what God has given us. And this comes into play in terms of the sort of churches that we build, because I have always thought beforehand that, okay, in order to um, be more of an impact in, in the kingdom, we need to get a bigger church, we need to um, get a bigger budget, we need to increase offerings and tithes so we can do bigger and better things, so we can get more people into the building, so that we can save more people, so that we can help more people to find life in Jesus. And that seems like a fairly pure idea until I started to notice a lot of the churches that I was going to for these conferences and these events are really beautiful and their overheads are huge and their budgets must just be enormous if what their budgets are married up to the incredible expenses that I see you know when I when I when you look at like a sound system and you can get an idea of how much it costs because you, you know what the equipment is then you start to think is this is this worth it is it worth it to have a big church where your budget is in the millions and sure, you might be getting a few thousand people every Sunday or every Saturday or whatever the case may be, but is is it worth it to have a big church like this? Is it wise on a stewardship level? And is it really more effective? Um, so I've been on a little bit of a journey about this. As you can tell, I haven't made my mind up because I'm on a journey, but mm-hmm. I guess that's why I wanted to have this conversation. So... That's me just kind of blurting everything out that's been in my brain for the last few years. So, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, like just, I guess, with the first thing you were saying, I don't think it's bad to have... I don't think it's bad to dream of building a big church. Do you know what I mean? Of like having lots of people as a part of a church. Um I don't, it, depends, it does depend on the place where it comes from because if it comes from a pride and I want to be the hero, I want to be the celebrity, then that's that could be bad. Um, <laughs> yeah. But if it just comes from like a genuine heart to see people saved, I don't know. Like when you were saying it sounds silly, I don't think it does sound silly. Like having big audacious goals like that because they're... Like there is... Uh, yeah, maybe, I guess... Maybe it's not that it sounds but, silly. Maybe it's that it sounds idealistic and it may it may be idealistic but idealism often isn't a bad thing i mean i think a lot more people in the church are more cynical than they are idealistic so maybe that's what it is well yeah i guess so i think like healthy churches grow is the way i see it whether that doesn't necessarily mean that a healthy church has to be a big church because you can have you can have small healthy churches, you can have small unhealthy churches, you can have large healthy churches, and you can have large unhealthy churches. All four are very possible and very existent. Um, <laughs> so I think I think it's it's interesting because I mean you can grow a small church, but that doesn't necessarily mean your church has to be has to be bigger because you can structurally like you can have new people coming and discipling new people, but then you can sort of send them or you know, make new ch- like you can have like more small churches or multiple services that are all small or I don't know. It's more of a I think it's more of a structural thing, right? Like we both want healthy churches, 
but it's whether the structure is better big or small and whether whether more health i guess can come from small or big churches for the individual yeah. disciple if that makes sense yeah which is yeah. complicated to think about <laughs> yeah well that's why i haven't made my mind up about this because it is a complicated discussion and i guess maybe maybe what it comes down to or for some people is do you think that there is a temperament or a personality that fits better in a bigger church or a smaller church? Do you think that's a thing? I I think so. I think some people naturally fit better in bigger, medium or small churches. Um, just, you know, like, for example, um, my wife, Danelle, really, she doesn't like crowds that much, whereas I love crowds. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, like maybe it's extrovert introvert um but yeah so for me i'm okay with being in big crowds at churches where some people that's just like horrific they want a small setting and some people want more discussion in a way like they want church to be yeah. more back and forth which the bigger you get the less that's logistically possible yeah because i've seen discussions try and take place in rooms of 500 and it doesn't work it, yeah. yeah yeah well no i don't think it works great Anyway, it doesn't yeah. work great. I mean, you have to be an excellent MC to make that happen, but not everybody has that skill. Um, one of the things that I've often heard, and this is a very classic argument for against growing churches, because one of the things that really surprised me when I was in Todonga was that I found that there were some people in that church who actually genuinely didn't want the church to grow. Like they actually were very happy with where the church was at numerically and they actually didn't want to see any new people. And you could probably pick wow. that apart on a theological level, like how bad that is theologically. But one of the things that I often heard was, well, if there are more people in this church, I, I'm not going to be able to know everybody. I'm not going to be able to know everybody's name. I'm not going to be able to know who they are. <laughs> You know, I'm not going to be able to have a personal discussion. What? What? Have you heard that discussion? Had that argument? Oh, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I've had people. Oh, I've I've had people complain to me that our church is too big. I had that at both of my churches. They're like, our church is too big. I don't know everyone. And I'm like, honestly, once it's over 25, you can't know everybody. You know, like really, you might be able to know their names, but you don't know them. Yeah. Um, my answer, and I don't know. This is like my, the classic answer I've started always giving is I said, it doesn't matter if I know everyone or if you know everybody. What matters is that everybody is known. Oh, sorry. Is that Brene Brown there? Sorry. <laughs> I don't know where that comes from. I, <laughs> prob I probably stole it from somewhere, but I have no idea where anymore. I've been using it for so long. Yeah. Yeah. Could be Brene Brown. Could be. No, I don't think it's Craig Michelle or Andy. Yeah. I don't know. No, it's good though. <laughs> I have no idea. Maybe maybe it was you, original. You, Who knows? Do you want to expand on that? Like, that's obviously very snappy, but do you want to expand on, like, what does that mean? Well, I think it more matters that everybody who comes to your church feels a part of the community and that people know them. You know, like, whether it's just the, the area where they sit that people, you know, those people know them, or if they're in, a, like, a part of a small group or a Sabbath school group or a Sunday school group, whatever your church is like. I think it more matters that like everybody who comes is known because then it doesn't mean that everybody everybody like relies on the pastor to get to know everybody. And you know, because it's just honestly, once you get over once you get over twenty, you just I don't think you really can know them well enough that it matters, if that makes sense. Mm, yeah. 
like whereas if you have a church and say say there's like 150 people at your church and you have like 150 smaller opportunities and all 150 people are at those and all of those have between 6 to 12 well and you know say around 10 people then all of a sudden it's it's pretty easy to know everybody in a group of 10 and know them well and be there when mm. things happen like that's more churchy to me but yeah. so like that's an argument for both small and big churches in a way because you can have a mm. a small church of like 10 people like a house church and that's awesome because you all know each other so well um and you know everybody but um obviously you have limited resources which we'll yeah. get into later about resources yeah. and yeah. then you get bigger and it's it is genuinely hard to know everybody and build those relationships and to like love the unlovable and all that kind of stuff like if somebody's annoying it's pretty easy to avoid them at a bigger church like the bigger you get um but i guess it's it's if you have like lots of small groups or like even healthy sabbath school groups at your church um then everybody has an opportunity to be known like in that house church Mm. yeah yeah no that's good that's good the other thing that i've often wondered about is which church or which type of church is better for um somebody who's far from god whether they're unchurched or they're de-churched or they're completely off the planet when it comes to religion and spirituality, is there a type of church that is better? And I'm not talking about in terms of worship style, like that is not even a part of this conversation as far as I'm concerned, but is there a type of size church that is better for somebody who is wanting to try out faith or, you know, just has a general interest? Yeah, that's a super interesting, um, that's a super interesting thing, eh? That's so... I don't know if there is even an answer because I feel like it comes down to that personality and temperament again. Because some yeah. people, like, they are just open. Like, they could just walk into a house church, be invited and come into a house church, which for me is really intense to go and even visit somebody's house church. I'd be like, oh, you know, they'll all yeah. notice me and that kind of yeah. thing. Um, But some people are just wired like that and that would be really good because then everybody can know them and bring them along on the journey straight away. Yeah. Whereas some people need to be able to sit at the back and observe a little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Before they make up their mind? I don't know. That's how I see it. What do you reckon? Well, it's interesting because all I really have is like anecdotal evidence of people that I've known. Like when, when I was in Tauranga, there was this one guy who I really tried to connect with and it was really hard. And the reason for that was he would come in to church at like 10 past 11 and he would leave every time at like 5 to 12. So he would just come in as the service was starting. So the music was, you know, the music team was up on stage or somebody was doing announcements. And then he would always without fail leave just before like the final prayer or the final song. And I'd met him once or twice and I really wanted to connect with him. And there was one day where I wasn't preaching. And so I was able to just kind of surreptitiously make my way to the foyer so that I could like intercept him as he was leaving. And nice. I had that's what I had to do like one or two times just to like connect with him and learn his name and find out what he was all about. And I just found out that he was shy. Like he, he wasn't super into crowds either. So he would come in and he would sit in the back and he would enjoy and then he would leave. And that was what he wanted to do. 
And so I tried to get him into a small group. I tried to say, hey, I'm having a dinner party, etc., etc. You want to join? And he never took because that's not what he wanted. He just wanted to come in. Um, eventually, he met one or two people who were kind of shy and awkward like he was. And that was cool because they could talk and understand each other. And, and that was great. Um, but it seemed to me that there was... Yeah, maybe it is a temperament thing. On the other hand, now that I'm pastoring at Mosaic here in Palmy, there are there. there it was so funny. Um, a few weeks ago, we had what we would think there with the with the rhythms of Mosaic of my church. It's it's a really interesting church. It's 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 kind of like Palmy in that some weeks there'll be a whole a whole bunch of people, and some weeks there'll be nobody. We were preparing for a Sabbath that we just thought this is going to be a dead, a dead service. Mm. There's going to be nobody here. We're just going to sing some songs and we're just going to have a little bit of a Bible study. It'll be real basic. Little did we realize we had seven visitors, all completely wow. different from diff- somebody um, was visiting from Auckland. So she brought her mother along. Somebody, um, there were these three or four guys who all just rocked up who were like older gentlemen who just you know joined the service for no reason and there was this one other older gentleman um uh who he just rocked up on his own so it was really interesting because i got to talk to um not all of them but at least three of them um they were the the guys were all in the group i i got to connect with one of the old fellas and i just you know asked him you know where where are you from are oh, you local that's cool so what brought you to church this morning and he just told me that he's been trying out churches and he wants to find a church anyway he said that he tried um the church that 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 josh um has been pastoring until he moved to hamilton palmy central and um, he said, oh, yeah, no, I've been, I thought I'd try out Central and I'd try out Mosaic, but I think I'm going to go to Central because I just think their music is a bit more appropriate. Um, <laughs> appropriate. So I thought, oh, okay, good on you, mate. Oh, good on you for yeah. coming. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you came. That's cool. Anyway, I talked to the, another, the other old guy, Earl, who has been coming for the last few weeks now, and he said... The exact opposite. He said, hey, I tried out Central, but I, I like the music here better, so I'm just going to come. And I'm like, so what brought you to church? And he's like, oh, you know, he told me his story and, you know, he's really keen to jump into a small group. So I've got him connected into a small group and he's just literally rocked up. He's connected with people. He's talked to them. He's become friends with a few people. And now he's part of our church for however long he might be. Who knows? But he is now. And it's just like... Yeah, well you can't strategize for that you can't like like there's no data around making that happen it just sometimes just happens you know <laughs> that's so funny mm. yeah well yeah um oh, that's that's so classic <laughs> um should we take a quick break yeah let's take a break And we're back. Uh, so, continuing the conversation about big church versus small church, there's yeah something we brought up before, resources. This yep. one I find the most compelling argument for <laughs> either either, in my opinion. I don't know, Jesse might see it differently, but I, I guess straight off the bat, I like big churches because it's. I feel like it's a more effective way to pull resources simply because of the structure and the way we run church. Obviously, house churches, totally different story because you don't need you don't need anything other than probably food because it's at someone's house. 
You know what I mean? Like there's there's really not much required to run that. Yeah. But to run a small church that has a church service, that's a lot of resources and a big burden on a small group of people, in my opinion. Yeah. So I feel like if you're going if you want that model, then you should be striving for a decent collection of people. Okay, so in my opinion. I would have agreed with you a few years ago. I would have been like, Yep, totally there with you. I think where I'm at now, you're going to have to convince me why that's a good idea because I'm at the point where I feel like big church ends up like, okay, you you said that you think that they're more of a an effective use of resources. I see it in the sense of, I almost feel like it's a bigger waste of resources to have a huge church. So I'm I'm more than happy to be proven wrong. But why do you think they're more effective in managing resources? Um, well, I just feel like you're you've got a okay. Well, and the complicated part of this is a building, right? So let's just assume, like for a fair comparison, you've got a small church who owns a building and a large church that owns a building, right? Yeah. Um, so a small church that owns a building probably has less of a flow of income right coming in so then they probably have to clean the church themselves shall we put so a number have... shall we put a number on this like 50 versus let's say what a thousand yeah, let's say under under 50 under 50 versus over 150 okay all right right um just for a simple yeah like again and this is like compare like two churches that want to have like a formal church service in a church building yep. okay so you get one group who has to like do all the cleaning themselves and generally they have to get up at the same people doing the same thing every single week if they're not there it's a huge struggle to get anything else to happen um it's also like you think about the like teenagers that means they'll generally only be like one teenager or two teenagers and they're trying to run like a whole formal sabbath school program for them as well um so that costs more resources and just there won't be as big a flow of income and so it's more like it's human resource and it's financial resource as well. Like the burden, even if I have to pay for insurance over that building too. But then you go to like over 150 and you've got more regular flow of income. Then you've got like multiple teams of people who can be involved. And, you know, so you've got like less of a risk of burnout. You've got more people that it's possible to disciple and bring up into leadership roles for like youth and kids programs. You've got more more of like a, a core group who you can gather and it's more worth it to get those sort of resources for them. Um, and we're yeah. assuming that like these churches have a 50 to 70% participation rate amongst their members sort of thing. Sure, that's probably generous, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. I mean, a smaller church, yeah, it has to be yeah. to even function. You have to get a hu- huge membership participation rate, but larger okay, churches, well, maybe that's... they can afford a lower rate. Which, right, you know, you don't want. You want to be pushing for, but you, they can't. They have leeway for a lower rate. So maybe that's another element. To... Maybe that's the other element. Is that would you say then there is a correlation between church size and participation rate from members in terms of volunteer positions and things like that? I think so. Like I think you're more likely to in smaller churches. You're more likely to get more people involved. Yeah, which is good, but uh, it comes at a cost because it means. 
it means you're sort of like filling slots, which isn't bad because it's getting people out of their comfort zone, which can be really good for the discipleship journey. But it can also mean that they don't even get a chance to act within their spiritual gifts, you know, right. and like do something that they're actually gifted and wired to do and be unleashed to do just that, you yeah. know? Yeah. So then um, you would say, would you say then that a larger church, somebody who attends a larger church, there would probably be more of a an incentive for that person to just be a pew warmer, to not be really active in their spiritual gifting than somebody who was attending a smaller church. I think so. I like, again, I don't have research to back this up. This is just from what I've seen visiting, looking around, like, I don't know. I just feel like when you're at a smaller church, it's, it is harder for you to just sit back yeah, you, you actually sort of you sort of see the struggle as well. You yes. know, you see like, yes. oh man, they're doing the same thing. I kind of feel bad for them. You know, <laughs> maybe I should, even though I don't feel ready or like I want to, I should probably step in and do something about this. You know, I, I don't know. That's <laughs> and I'll tell you guys, like, if you want to come to Palmerston North, come to Mosaic. You'll see it. You'll see when our sound system fails, or you'll see when um the the, the worship leader has a different song to the piano player and they're trying to to marry the two up together. And like, that's that's just a reality in yeah. small churches. Oh, totally. So that's why like, I think, I mean, ideally, obviously there's like outliers and all that kind of stuff, but ideally I think it's a bit, I think it can be a better res- use of resource to pull them all into one place okay. for a bigger church. Hmm interesting in my okay. opinion well okay so then yeah. talk to me about how budgeting well, hang on. you haven't shared your you haven't shared your opinion <laughs> oh well okay well i so i guess probably my opinion would would verge on the other end of the extreme which is that i think that not every church should have a formal worship service the way that we have in the western world i think that i would agree okay yep i also know that the vast majority of churches who are small, if I were to say that to them, they would probably just get offended and completely ignore my advice. And I think that we are kind of married to a lot of our models um, of church. And I think that saying, saying what I'm about to say will sound really idealistic, but I actually think that a lot of churches would benefit from shutting down the weekend service, at least the holy hour, 11 till 12 p.m., whatever, um, and just do Bible study, do outreach, do um, the breaking of bread, the the wine and the, and the bread sort of thing, um, and just being a sort of, I guess, essentially a house church. Maybe what I'm saying is that I think that more small churches need to be house churches. Maybe. Yeah. Because I, I, I would probably... I think I would agree. Because I'm... Like, I think there's definitely a place for big churches and small churches. But for that traditional church structure, I think it just functions better at, at a bigger yeah. at bigger numbers. You know, I think small churches are really awesome and really necessary for groups that, like... There's certain people who only ever connect to small churches, and that's great. And I think we should have small churches. But they need to structure them correctly for their size. You know, don't try and be something that you're you're not. Because even like the bigger you grow, you even you have to constantly restructure. Like yeah. when you get into the thousands, you can't do the things you that would work in my church. Like at a two hundred, 
and I'm sure it's the same when you get to 10,000 and 20,000, yeah. you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm sure there's radical structure changes. And I think we actually need to be conscious and make those same sort of structural choices under 50 as well. Yeah, yeah. All that sort of thing. Not try and be that big formal church. Just be be what you are and embrace it. Yeah. So, I guess my criticism of big church... I, I don't want to pick on... I don't want to pick on churches outside of our faith tradition, but I think that possibly a lot of the cynicism that I've accrued towards big church has to do with the big, big churches, the, the, the huge churches, the, um, the Hillsongs and the Church of the Highlands and the Life Churches, at least the ones that I've seen. And I think my view is probably very small because I'm not, in the back end and I'm not seeing all the things that are happening and I'm not seeing all the amazing ways that the money and the resources are actually being used. I'm just getting a small snippet. But when I see a lot of these huge churches and I see some of the stuff that they have and as I said before, the sound system and the and the lighting on the stage, all of which, of which is excellent and I enjoy on an artistic and on a spiritual level. I enjoy it. I... I I mean, I'm making it sound like I hate these these churches. I don't. I really like them. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad they're there. I'm glad that their leaders in terms of... Like, I'm glad Hillsong is there because it's the world's leader in creativity and music in the church today, for better or for worse. That's what they are, you know? I'm glad for the ministry and I'm glad for every single person that has made a decision for Jesus Christ as a result of these big churches. But I do wonder is... I do wonder if the resources that are being used could be put to better use if they were not building enormous um, complexes and instead putting them to something else. I don't know if that's like a Judas sort of argument, like, (laughs) you know, if only this money was given to the poor and not wasted on expensive perfume. I don't know. But that's, that's, I guess, where I'm at when it comes to big churches. Maybe I'm just cynical. I don't know. Could be. I think it depends what you... It depends what you want to achieve, you know? And I don't know, that's probably a vague answer. But I think, like, I think creating that spectacle... Obviously, like, this doesn't happen in the Bible. And people can be like, that's not biblical. Biblical is house churches and that kind of thing. Sure, you know, but there's a lot unsaid about about what church should look like. And I don't think necessarily that your church has to look exactly like what the like structurally like what the churches in the bible look like because we live in a totally different society yeah and we're less commun we're less communal so it's like house churches are kind of more difficult and we could bring that back obviously but i think the the bible is vague enough in how to do it that i think it gives us enough license to be like creative about it as long as we're still fulfilling the core values of of you know anyway i don't think i need to explain that anymore but um but i think that mega churches as long like I've, there's a huge difference between unhealthy and healthy mega churches i there are some mega churches that i can't stand um i'm not going to list them cuz that's not fair and I, I don't know them well enough and there's misunderstanding but there are some churches that i know really well like i know a lot about hillsong cuz i've sort of been in and in and out you know sort of when i know people connected to it and there's a lot of cool things that they can do and discipleship opportunities that they have that could only come about through their structure. That makes sense. Okay, can you like, give me an example? 
Well, like having full-time worship leaders. Ah. Like their job. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or full-time graphic designers who just do church stuff. You just cannot create those sort of creative discipleship opportunities. And the fact that they can lead other people who aren't paid. I don't know. For me, that's amazing. And the sort of... Like they do these big like Christmas spectaculars like Hillsong. You can't do that with a with a anything less than what they do you know what the sort of buildings that they have and the teams that they have they can do yep. these amazing Christmas spectaculars. They're also incredible evangelistic opportunities and a lot of people come to it through their church from that. Um I don't know. Like I guess I guess when you think about it it's like well what's what's the alternative? Like should they rather than build one building that can seat 7,000 should they have built thir- I don't know I can't even do the math should they have built seven <laughs> buildings that only seat 1,000 right 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 or like 14 you know? buildings that can only seat 500 or yeah you know, 32 that can like, only seat 250 or whatever yeah like they've just grown and ch- that's the structure that they've chosen that works best for their growth and like I don't know about all of their campuses but I don't know the Hillsong their main campus at hills they use every part of that building all the time like they get incredible use out of that building and i think what they've done well is that they've structured they've structured that building to work with their ministry so i feel like in that specific example it's a very good use of money but (laughs) like there are some churches who will build these elaborate, not even that size. Let's just say, like, so even some Adventist churches, and they build these big, beautiful buildings that cost, I don't know, even mil- like millions yeah. into the millions, and all they do is a church service there once a week. Yeah, that to me is a bigger waste of money than like what a lot of mega churches do. Yeah, because mega churches, you know, that they're using that building all week long for all of their staff and for meetings and all that kind of thing. Whereas yeah. often a lot of church buildings are just built even like cathedrals and that kind of thing incredible amounts of money for very little use not targeting anybody but i just feel like if you're going to spend a lot of money it's got to be like it's got to be really drawn up and and done um done well with your structure and how you want to do church and what you want to achieve with that building if that makes sense yeah no it makes a lot of sense yeah yeah no I see your perspective. I, I, yeah, I don't know if I'm a hundred percent there, but I definitely see your perspective. Just simply because I don't know that I have a better solution to what you're saying. Like, yeah, in terms of the multi-site model, I think the multi-site model is definitely. I don't know. I, I feel like it's kind of dying off a little bit in the Western world. Although there are some people who very much are like, it's not dying. But I've seen enough buzz about is the multi-site model not working anymore to in the last few years to think i wonder if this is something that we're transitioning away from so yeah i i i, I probably wouldn't actually, say that multi-site is is gone but yeah sorry you're gonna say yeah oh well i was gonna say i'm actually less i'm less mm, i don't know i hate i hate ragging out like different models of church to be honest I don't, <laughs> i'm not against any of this but i'm less for you know multi-sites where they just have like a live stream of the preacher right I'm actually less inclined for that because I, I'd rather, if you're going to do multi-site, like empower another pastor to preach there. Do you sure. know what I mean? Like it's taking away the opportunity for someone else to serve if it's just a live stream. Well, then that bleeds into the whole celebrity pastor 
sort of discussion, which is a whole different, <laughs> a whole different conversation. Yeah, it definitely impacts yeah. on this because you could probably say that a lot of me- mega churches and multi-site churches are successful precisely because of the image or the brand of their pastor. Could be. I, I think it always comes down to more than that, though. I think they only get big because people see like legitimacy with that. Do you know what I mean? I think. I think. I think that. I think that the brand of the pastor is a draw card, but everything they do to retain is a way of growth. Mm, maybe I don't know if I'm. I don't so know if I'm. You draw them in. <laughs> you draw them in with. I don't like you draw them in with the pastor. You draw them in with the message. You draw them in with whatever your draw card is, whatever your your marketing strategy is, and then you do everything like making them feel at home, getting them connected to a group, making them feel like they're a part of this as a way of retaining them. So then you grow through through that. I don't know, because most most new people who go to a church, I don't think they... Unless they're coming from another church, they don't necessarily go for just the preacher, I think. I feel uh, like you go because you're invited by a friend yeah. or because, you know, you're a part of a group or something. Like, a lot of their stories, like, the, that they share that I've heard shared around like people coming to those those bigger churches is often because they run like a gamblers anonymous or oh, yeah. you know they were doing they were doing like street care sort of stuff or like yeah I don't, that's I don't just, know that's just one funnel that. that's one funnel there are many funnels there have to be many funnels you know yeah but that's what I'm saying I don't think I don't think I necessarily agree that like the big draw card is the celebrity preacher I think there's lots uh, of things that they do to bring yeah. people in Maybe in some churches, but I think that's good at drawing other Christians, but not necessarily non-Christians, I think. Yeah. I think that if there's going to be two main draw cards, it's going to be the music and it's going to be the preaching. I think that's like, that's pretty basic, but if... Could be. If I I remember reading Growing Young and they talked about how like young people, they don't, they don't, wait, they don't necessarily come to your church for a good preacher but they'll leave if there's a bad preacher. <laughs> which that's I found funny. funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I would good. say like good, good relevant preaching is like a retainer rather than an attractor. Possibly. That's a good, that's a Maybe. good thought. I think that, that, that um, leads us pretty well into the final thought that I had around that, which is um, leadership and again, I guess temperament styles. Like what is the best sort of church for different temperament styles? For instance, I... I got myself into a space in Tauranga where I wanted to kind of become that sort of leader of a large church sort of mentality. Um, And all the training and all the uh, professional development and all the resources that I was consuming to help get me into that place, I thought that was going to help me become that person. But that's kind of all been useless since moving to Palmy because, well, I'm not that guy anymore. You know, people don't really people don't really come to Mosaic because I'm preaching. They come to Mosaic because of a multitude of different reasons. And most of it has to come down to family and they feel like Mosaic is a family sort of place. Um, And they don't really, you know, treat me like a celebrity. Not that I was ever treated like a celebrity, but like like that that whole leadership trajectory was kind of like, I had to kind of abandon that because I was like, yeah, this is not, this is not who I want to be. And, you know, that was just a reality. Um, but do you think that there are certain personalities that fit different churches 
and not not in terms of contemporary or conservative, but like, what do you think leadership has to do with size of church? Mm. Yeah, I would say there's definitely like some leaders more who are more fitted to a smaller, more relational church. You know, like I feel like the bigger you go, the more sort of like the leader has to be like more like visionary and really good at. I don't know, managing people and whereas like if you're smaller, it's more an opportunity to be like a, you know, like a shit, like a pastor, like really relational, knowing everybody. Right. And if you're wired that way, I think it's awesome. You know, like, Mm. like how awesome would it be if you had a full-time pastor of your like 50 something church and like the pastor can come around to your house for dinner, like a few times a year and like you get to just talk everything with them like i think that's really i mean that maybe make a bit too much of a celebrity out of the pastor but you know what i mean like it's yeah 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 like i think that's really cool that like your church leader would just know everyone so well but you'd have to be the right type of leader yeah for that a man of a man of the people or a woman of the people you know sort of yeah but once you get over 100 a pastor really can't connect well with everybody you have to have multiple leaders doing so i don't know i think that's why, like, big churches work well when they're very good at empowering leaders, like, if that makes sense. Like, small mm. churches empower leaders as well, but I think in big churches, you have to be very good at it. How do you think leadership structure has to... Like, you've already touched on it. How do you think leadership structure has to change from small to big church? I have no idea. I'm still working that out and <laughs> trying to figure <laughs> out what the... You know yeah. what I mean? In my size, like, oh, like, is this the best structure for us? I don't, I don't know. Because, like, I, I've definitely seen that once... Because when I was in Melbourne at my church there, that was the contemporary smaller one. It was really easy to just get to know everybody and hear where everybody's at. Like, oh, you're not liking this? Why aren't you liking this? Oh, actually, you know what? There's a few other people I've talked to who aren't liking this. Let's make a shift. Yeah. Or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas, like, once you get over 100, you really, you really don't know. Like, you try, but you're only ever hearing the loud voices. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's... Yeah, and I, I don't know if it's just like, do we need more staff, or do you just need a different volunteer and leader leadership structure in that? Well, um, one, like one, my ideal. Oh, sorry. No, okay. no. I was uh, all I was going to say was there was one adage that I heard, which is that the larger your church gets, the smaller the leadership structure has to get. In terms of, like, your like where I'm at with Mosaic is very similar. We have a leadership team, but we also have a bunch of ministry leaders, and they let us know when they don't like things they're very um good at communicating you know how they're feeling and where they're at um but when i was in Todong, our, our leadership our, our we had a, a leadership board a, a church board and that was you know smaller than our combined leadership team and ministry teams here in, in mosaic and it was yeah there were la- obviously there are loud voices and there are always loud voices when it comes to any leadership team or church board or whatever but we found that actually it was more effective for us to be able to do vision and mission um, with a smaller team of people. So we actually ended up appointing a vision casting team that was small, that included the pastoral team, the head elder, and one or two other really key leaders. And we worked on vision exclusively and we communicated that to the church board. And it was really funny when we communicated that to the church board and then to the church like the business meeting, we found that a lot of people who we thought might oppose it were just like, okay, because they kind of either they didn't care or they were like, oh, that sounds good. We trust you. That's fine. 
you know. But when it comes to minute, the minutia, a lot of the time people would get very worked up about very small things. Um, but when it comes to some of the big vision casting stuff, if you have a small team of people that can actually take care of that, a lot of the time people go, oh, that's fine. Well, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That's probably true. I don't, yeah. Like we had a small board who was just doing... Like we don't have a representative board at Hamilton. We have like just a vision board basically. Sort of similar. Um, you have a vision and it was, board. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, true. A vision. <laughs> no. Anyway. Um, I, but yeah, it was really effective compared to like trying to do it with like a representative board or something because that's heaps of people. But... Like my ideal structure would be that like for pastoral care, for example, I feel like once you get over a hundred, I feel like the majority of your pastoral care should come from a small group. Yeah. Or you know what I mean? Because yeah. then like again, it's so much easier to care for ten people. Um and like if you have like and the pastor maybe can focus on more broad picture, big vision stuff, um, and managing, making sure all the ministries are functioning right and if you got your little small group and like helping get people into small groups and once you're in a small group they're the ones who do it like if you've got struggles you just talk to your small group about it they pray for you all that kind of thing mm. that for me is way more biblical yeah. and exciting yeah. and then the the like the weekend service is just a celebration like all the small groups coming together to celebrate together and you know that's ideal yeah. for me anyway that's what I think is like a really good structure that's very scalable yes like you can have as many small groups as you want and then you just bring them all together yeah and you know if you want a big gathering bring all the small groups together if you want a small gathering just bring five of them together you know what i mean <laughs> yeah 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 um if you if you're a pastor listening to this and you're thinking oh, i don't know if that's like super biblical i would just say like this is the jethro model you know like when moses in the um mm. old testament was trying to adjudicate all the different cases and grievances that the um israelites had you know, his father-in-law Jethro just comes along and says, "Dude, you're absolutely killing yourself trying to be God to everybody. You got to appoint people. You got to appoint people over, you know, a thousand, ten thousand, you know, a hundred. Appoint these people. Let them do the work for you. Figure out the really hard stuff. But trust that these guys are going to actually do a good job. And that's what he did. So, yeah, yeah. no, definitely biblical. Yeah." And like, I mean, even if you're a pastor of like, say two, three smaller churches, the biggest thing there that everybody told me when I started pastoring a small rural church, like doing two two churches was like, you got to trust your elders and trust that they do the, you know, they kind of yeah. do a lot of pastoral care. You do yeah. some of it, but your elders, they're the ones that you got to trust. And I was like, man, it was really hard to do that at first, but once you start, it was awesome. Yeah. And just empowering the elders. And obviously there's still pastoral care that you, the pastor do. Yeah. But I don't know, you're sort of trusting the elders and even the deacons to, to really, yeah. And I think that's just exciting. And I think that's probably the big thing for us that we've talked about is like, for like, it doesn't, I don't think it matters too much if your church is big or small, as long as it aligns with your mission, mm. that what you want to achieve as a church and it's a good use of resources <laughs> and people are still getting discipled effectively is the big thing. Like, I'm all for all different models of churches. Yeah. Like I love big, I love healthy big churches. I love healthy small churches, medium churches, anything. I don't like seeing unhealthy big churches or unhealthy small churches. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so like, I'm, and even when, I, you know, my comments before about multi-site, whatever, like as long as it's working and it's effective in discipling, 
then fine. Even if it's not my preference, that's fine. Mm. I think it's the big thing. So at the end of the day, the question, is big church better than small church? Is small church better than big church? The answer, the definitive answer that we have concluded (laughs) with, that is going to be for all generations upon generation (laughs) unto generation is yes and no with a couple of caveats. So Hell yes, but actually no. <laughs> <laughs> so true to burn the haystack fashion, we ask a question and then we fail to give a definitive answer because I think as you you said, there is no definitive definitive answer. I think at the end of the day, um, you can have healthy churches that are big or small, unhealthy churches that are the same. So maybe instead of focusing on if a church is big or not let's just focus on getting healthier and if our church churches grow maybe that's a great thing maybe it's not a great thing but either way i think god blesses us when we when we plant healthy things hmm <laughs> the real journey was the friends we made along the way anyway, <laughs> sorry <laughs> i want my money uh, back no, but hey yeah let, let us know your thoughts um Maybe we're way off the mark and we need to readdress this um, or we missed some things. I feel like we could have done like two or three episodes on this. It was a lot to talk about and we went way over time. But um, yeah, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Do we need to continue this discussion? Um, yeah, mm. I, I had a good time talking about it and fleshed out and I definitely learned a couple of things just in this chat. So yeah, yeah it was good. I enjoyed myself. Sweet. Um, if the people want to learn more about Burn the Haystack, Josh, where do they go? burnthehaystack.org it looks good it's fre- it's got a fresh coat of paint on it Ooh. so make sure you go and check it out it is beautiful um, and if you haven't already please uh, subscribe on the podcatching app of your choice and if you want to help us out just be a buddy buddy help us be a buddy no I'm going to stop uh, leave us a review it'll be great leave <laughs> us a review please please I'm begging you alright and we should stop talking that is Josh and Jesse out I bet they can't even tell that we haven't done this for two months. I bet they can't even tell.